We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 2, and also Philippians chapter 2 this morning, Luke chapter 2 and Philippians chapter 2. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you that we're loved by you, and you have displayed that, you've communicated that through the gift of your son, through his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. And we do pray this morning that we would see Christ in a greater way. That he would be magnified, that he would be lifted up. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do your work in our lives, that you desire, that you see necessary. So God, would you speak to us and would you encourage us? In Jesus' name, amen. Small places oftentimes is a matter of perspective. I grew up in southern Oregon in a house that was uh, 1,300 square feet, and the hallway seemed huge to me as a child. It just seemed like it would go on uh, forever. But I'm sure if I was back there uh, this morning, I would realize that's a fairly small uh, hallway. I remember at one point when I was pretty little, my dad getting down on his knees and, and saying, oh, this is what this hallway looks like from your perspective. And this morning, I want you to use your imagination uh, for for just a moment and think about Christ in his glory with the Father, equal with the Father. You can't get any more grand. You can't get any more big. He's, He's the creator of the universe, but yet he steps into human flesh, a very small place, if you're God. This is all we know. This is all we experience is our human flesh, but But Jesus is God and he comes in human flesh and and comes in a manger, an extremely small place. He's put into the hands of a teenager who's his mom. That's That's a small place. Becomes a refugee in Egypt, a carpenter, has a public ministry that's scrutinized, ultimately led to the cross. And he went to all of these small places for us so that we could go to a grand place. And that's eternal life, and and that's heaven. So let's begin in verse 1 of Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Canarius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. To catch us up on the narrative, we have Mary, young teenage gal, Gabriel the angel appears to her and lets her know that she's going to be a child of the Holy Spirit, the immaculate conception, the the virgin birth. She's already engaged. She's promised to be married to Joseph. She shares the news with Joseph, and Joseph says, okay, we're done. And he chooses to move forward with going ahead and breaking off the engagement uh, privately. Angel comes to Joseph and says, no, this is of the Lord. You need to stay committed to Mary. You need to marry Mary. So he does. And he enters into that commitment and stays committed in the engagement. But Mary and Joseph, they're not married yet at this point. And they get word, they get news that they have to leave the Galilee region, leave Nazareth, head down to Bethlehem, southern Israel, to be registered. This would be difficult news to receive at the end of your pregnancy. Having to travel by foot or possibly by a donkey to get there. And this is a small place. This is a a difficult place. The mother of Christ 
has to go through this challenge and this difficulty. In verse 4, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. Joseph is from the lineage of David, so he has to go back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem is the hometown of David. God said that his son would come through the line of David. Bethlehem was God's choice for his son to be born. In Micah 5, 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. A small place. God says in this prophecy about Bethlehem, Bethlehem, you're small. You're you're the smallest of these cities in Judah and southern Israel. It's about five miles outside of Jerusalem, but it's this small city, this out-of-the-way city, that God chooses for his son to be born. Christ is going to come to an obscure place. This hit me more personally this year as we were praying about uh, starting an RMC campus in Ellicott, 30 miles east uh, from here. We'd been feeling burdened to reach out to an area that needed a church teaching God's word, this opportunity to buy this church building in in Ellicott. If you've been out to Ellicott or you're from Ellicott, uh, you know it's a small place. It's a, it's a small town. When you go through kind of the main strip of, of Ellicott, it feels, it feels forgotten. And the Lord really spoke to me in this verse, Micah 5, 2, out of my devotions, that Christ loves to come to small places. Christ loves to come to obscure places. And this is the exact location that God had for us for an RMC campus. And we've begun to see God move. They're having their Christmas services this morning at 9.30 in the morning and 6.30 this evening. Some people have gotten saved and come to know Christ as their Savior. Why? Because God often meets us in Bethlehem, doesn't he? You think of your own life, and and it's probably some lonely, out-of-the-way place, and that's exactly where Christ was revealed to you. Christ loves to come to small places. In verse 5, To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So here he's traveling with his betrothed wife, coming in to Bethlehem, and she's very pregnant. She's coming very close to her her due date. And this is a small place because of the scrutiny that Mary and Joseph were going through. Do you think anybody believed the whole virgin birth story? Do you think her parents were like, oh yeah, I believe that. Or they're like, Joseph, I'm going to get you right? I've got three daughters, and if uh, I was the dad hearing that news, it's like, no, uh, I'm talking to Joseph about this, right? Uh, I know exactly how how this this happened and and took place. So they're alone. As they go down to Bethlehem, no one's going with them, no family, no friends, because of this scrutiny that, that they were going through. And this was ordained by God. This was the plan of God, the virgin birth, and it was a small place. It was a lonely place as they're coming in to Bethlehem. So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. Imagine if you're Joseph and you're Mary. They're not aware of this prophecy from Micah 5.2. I'm sure they're hoping they can get this census taken care of and then get back to Nazareth where their plans had been prepared to, to have baby Jesus. And all of a sudden, here comes labor. When labor comes, you can't stop it. And Jesus is born. 
In verse 7, And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. A small place, God in human flesh, the creator of the universe, is now born, maybe a a six-pounder, a seven-pounder, placed in a manger. Manger sounds pretty nice. I mean, we kind of have some attachment to an image like this, and we think of, oh, a manger, and baby Jesus in, in a manger. This is a feeding trough for animals. Mary is a mom, and though she's young, no mom wants to place their baby where cattle eat out of. Agreed? This is not the ideal location for a a child uh, to be born. There's no room in the inn. There's there's nobody that's saying, hey, you can have my room. (laughs) Why don't you guys have your, your baby here? Or why don't you come over to my house, and I'll make sure that you're taken care of. It could have been a small cave in the side of the hill or, or, or a barn. And here baby Jesus is born and he's, he's placed in the manger. One of the things that I love about babies is their hands and their feet. When our kids were little, you, know, you almost just stand in awe of, of their hands and their, and their feet. One of the things that's fun as a pastor is, is a baby dedication and holding the kids and just getting to know them a little bit and checking out their little feet and their, and their hands. And Christ was no different the creator of the universe with these tiny little hands. And these would be the hands that die upon the cross. These would be the feet that are nailed to the cross. These would be the feet that walk upon the Sea of Galilee and stormy seas. These would be the hands that would break the bread to feed 5,000. But it began very small, very very tiny. God in, in human flesh. God coming to a small place so that we could be saved and we could be the children of God. In verse 8, now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Shepherds, just a normal evening, doing their thing, watching the sheep. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. All of a sudden, here's an angel, and they're completely freaked out, caught unaware. And this is the message from the angel. Then the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Hey, this is not something you've got to fear. We're bringing you good tidings of great joy for all people. And I want you to be reminded that Jesus, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension is good news. It's good tidings. Jesus came to give life and to give it more abundantly. If somehow you think that a Christian life is boring or a Christian life is going to cause you to not have have any fun, you don't know Christ. I mean, he's leading us to, to wholeness. He's leading us not to an easy life, but an abundant life. And this is good news. This is a Savior that has come to die for our sins. And that's the initial message about Christ. Good tidings of, of great joy. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You shepherds, to you, there's a child that's born that's your Savior. And you're going to find him. It's going to be a sign because you'll find him in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes. Babies aren't normally in mangers. Babies aren't normally in feeding troughs. So go through Bethlehem, look for a brand new infant that's laid in a manger, and that's the Savior. 
That's God's son in, in human flesh. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. Now, a huge number of angels that begin to declare the glory of God. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, goodwill towards men. The angels understand the grandeur and the greatness of Christ. He's God. They, they've seen him. They know him. They've beheld him in his deity. But now they're seeing him in his humanity. And they're going, this is far out. God in human flesh. God in a manger. God in a small place. And what's the result? Only God could do this. And this is peace on earth. This is going to bring peace on earth. Not from a governmental standpoint. Not from a, a societal standpoint. But peace with God. Forgiveness with God, right standing with God. And this is the best thing that's ever happened to humanity. And so they're declaring it and the angels are rejoicing. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. These shepherds are faithful. Like, all right, the angels are gone. Let's go do our assignment. Let's, let's, let's go find the Christ child. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They're in a hurry. And they find it just as the angels had told them. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. They go out and declare everything that they'd seen and experienced with Christ. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, and as it was told them. We read this and we kind of go, oh yeah, I'm familiar with the shepherds being the first ones to hear of the, the birth of Christ. But we have to understand for a shepherd was not something that you longed for your son to be. When your son was born, you're not like, oh, you know what? When he grows up, I want him to be a shepherd. We know from the Old Testament that the shepherds, the Egyptians saw shepherds as a, an, an abomination. To some people's perspective, they would maybe look at the shepherds as, as, as nobodies. They're just taking care of, uh, of the sheep. This is long before farming and ranching was the trend. These guys were not writing blogs on being shepherds, all right? They weren't tweeting out like, I'm getting, I'm getting back with the field and I'm, I'm having this organic life. In a lot of ways, they were living a life that was very small and to others seemed insignificant. It's just another day. It's another day of taking care of sheep. Sheep are kind of dumb, you know? Sheep bite. And here they are. They're just faithfully taking care of the sheep, living in a small place, but they're the ones that get the commission to share the love of Jesus Christ. And this shows God's heart. God's coming to broken people. God's coming to people that are living in obscurity, coming to people that maybe feel forgotten. Let's turn over to Philippians 2. We find the Apostle Paul giving us a paragraph about Christ coming in human flesh. So this is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. You guys doing okay? I've only got about 50 more minutes left in the message, so. 
No, it's, it's not going to be a terribly long one. All the kids doing good? Kids, you excited for Christmas? Yeah? Yeah, all right, that's awesome. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What's Paul saying? Jesus is God. It's not wrong for him to consider himself equal with the Father. He is 100% God. There's nothing bigger, there's nothing more grand than Christ being God. But, verse 7, made himself of no reputation, came to a small place. We think about this, reputation is not what drove Christ. He made himself, he purposely said, I'm not going to have a reputation. Isaiah 53 tells us that with Christ, he had no form or comeliness that we would desire him. If Christ walked into the room, it wasn't like, oh man, there's big, tall, dark, and handsome. You know, he's got such an impressive physical stature. He was a normal guy. To the point where when Judas betrayed Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, he had to kiss him to identify him. Give him a greeting on the cheek. The one that Judas kisses on the cheek is the one who is Christ. And this is after a very public ministry for three years. No reputation to the point where he's born in Bethlehem to a teenager with a birth that's scrutinized, to go to Egypt as a, as a refugee, to be a carpenter, to have a public ministry where he is, is rejected. No, no reputation. The form of a bondservant. Jesus chose to be a slave. The bondservant is a slave by choice. His whole life is wrapped up in doing the will of the Father. He says, I'm not here to do my will. I'm here to do the will of the Father. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve others. Go into Christmas Eve and Christmas morning with that perspective. I have no entitlement. I am here to serve. I'm here to be a slave. I'm here to lay down my life for the will of the Father. So you have God choosing human flesh. You have God choosing no reputation. You have God choosing to be a slave by choice and coming in the likeness of men. He's all God, and he's all man. Amazing. Why the likeness of men? Because he's different than us because he is God. He's different than us because he never sinned, lived a completely sinless existence. One of the things that we celebrate with the birth of Christ is his humanity, that he did come in human flesh, so that we can approach Jesus as a faithful and merciful high priest. He knows what it's like. He knows this human experience. He was even tempted with sin, but yet he never gave in to to sin so that you can come to him. I can come to his throne room of grace and receive help in, in time of need. His humility, his willingness to come to small places continues. In verse eight, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. If the manger wasn't enough, if human flesh wasn't enough, if being a slave wasn't enough, being a servant wasn't enough, he chooses to humble himself and be obedient to death, the death of the cross. Christ chose in obedience to go to the cross for us. Says to the Father, not my will, but your will be done. As we talk about small places this morning, think of the cross. That's a small place. It's just him 
there upon the cross, dying for our sins, he even cries out and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Physical pain, but also the spiritual agony of being punished for our sins, paying that price, that atonement for our sin, he went to the cross for you. This is what I want you to hear. I want you to be reminded, believer, brother, sister in Christ, that you are loved by God to the point where he sent his son to the cross for you to die for your sins and, and rise again. If you have never trusted Christ for, for salvation and you're like, oh, you know, it's Christmas. I, I might as well go to a, a Christmas service. If I don't, mom's gonna give me heck all the way through 2018. So I, I, I better go. Because I want you to know your love. Jesus went to this terrible, this brutal, this small place of isolation to pay the price for our salvation. In verses 9 through 11, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Because of Christ's obedience, the Father then responds and says, Christ is exalted above every name. Christ is risen from the... the from the dead, from the tomb. When we speak of the name of Christ, it's who he is, his character and nature. There's no one greater than Christ. The promise of Philippians 2 is every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow. This is everyone who's lived in time past, time present, time future. Every tongue that's ever created is gonna confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Every set of knees is going to bow before Christ. There's going to be no atheists in eternity. The question is, when? When is someone going to respond to Christ? And the Bible teaches us that it's very important in this life to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God. Not just some fairy tale. You know, don't put him in the same category as Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. And a fun tradition that we do once a year, but, but he is God. And bowing down before him and receiving that free gift of salvation. Ephesians tells us that we're saved by faith, receiving the free gift of grace. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't earn or deserve salvation. Jesus is a gift. The Father gives the greatest gift and the gift of his Son and you receive it by faith to trust Christ and say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you rose again. So there's three other small places that I believe that Christ would want to enter this morning and the first is your heart. Your heart is a small place, but yet it's the very core of who you are. Jesus says that he stands at the door and knocks, and if anyone hears his voice and opens up the door, he will come in and he will sup with them. He'll dine with them. There's a painting of Christ standing at, at a door, and if you look closely, it's a famous painting. There's no doorknob on the outside because you have to let Christ in. Christ could barge his way into your life, but he's waiting for you to open up the door through faith. He's ready to come and live in your heart. 
if you'll receive that free gift of salvation. The way that you do that is by trusting Christ for salvation. And in a moment, the worship team's gonna come back and lead us in a last song. And there's gonna be people available and pastors here in the front. And we wanna give you an opportunity to come and receive Christ as your savior. I know that there's some of you that haven't trusted Christ. And this is God's invitation of love to you. He says, I created you. I loved you. I wanna be in relationship with you. Your sin is what has separated you from God. It's what separates all of us from God. And you hear him knocking. He's been working in your life. And you're going to have this point of decision to to respond to Christ. To make this long walk from where you're standing to down here in the front to let someone know, hey, would you pray with me? I want to receive Christ as my Savior. There's nothing weird. We're not going to sign you up for anything. This isn't about joining a church. No one's going to ask for your money. This is you receiving Christ as your Savior. We're going to pray for you, give you a Bible, answer any questions that you may have, welcome you to the the family of God. There's another place, though, that I think Christ wants to come to this Christmas Eve morning. (laughs) And that is the pig pen of rebellion. A prodigal. We know the prodigal, he goes to his father and he says, look, I, I want the inheritance and I want it now. And an amazing expression of kindness, the father gives it to him. How many dads would say, not on your life, you punk. You have no maturity. You're going to have to wait till I die to, to receive this. But the dad says, okay. And here goes the son to get away from his father as fast as he can. And he never looks in the rearview mirror. And he begins to just waste his inheritance in all kinds of compromise and sin. The money wears out. The friends leave and abandon, and he finds himself having to work to feed pigs. He's working at a pig farm. Have you ever been around a large amount of pigs? They are disgusting. Our family, the Cartiers, we boast of North Dakota. That's as far back as we can trace our family. We are a little grateful that we can't trace it back to France, but that's another discussion. So... (laughs) North Dakota. And in elementary school, we went there as a, as a family and went to uh, one of my uncles, and he owns a, a large pig pig farm. And man, what those pigs do is gross. I, I've never eaten bacon since. That's a bold-faced lie. I, <laughs> I had bacon Friday, right? But I tell you this, to gross you out this morning. No, I, I tell you this because this is how bad this guy's life got. That he's feeding pigs, hanging out with pigs, eating their food, and he, he gets this epiphany and he says, you know what? It's better to be a servant in my father's house than to continue here with the pigs. Are you tired of the pig pen of rebellion? Maybe this has been the year or the last couple years or even just the last few months where, where you've walked away from the father. Maybe you know why, or maybe you don't know why. Maybe it's just pure selfishness where you're saying, you know, I want it my way. You've been even so bold to say, I want the blessings of God. God, give me the blessings, and now I'm going to go do whatever I want. And you find yourself in a pig pen. You find yourself in a very small place. And Jesus is saying, come back. And as the prodigal came back, here's the father. And the father every day was looking for his son to come home. 
And this particular day, he sees a young man walking on the road, and he's like, man, that sure looks like Jim. He walks like Jim. He hangs his head like Jim. That's my boy. He's come home. And the father runs to go and greet the son. It's the only time we see God depicted in a hurry. And that's to restore one of his children who's, who's walked away. And the response of the father is phenomenal. He hugs his son. He puts a robe upon his son, sandals upon his feet, and says, go get the fatted calf. It's time for some filet mignon tonight. You would think that the father would probably say, hey, where's all that money? That was five generations of family saving and an inheritance that was going to be given to you and eventually your kids and maybe your grandkids. And you think you can just walk back in here and expect that you're going to be a son? None of that. Complete grace. And that's what the Father is going to give to you this morning if you choose to come back. And as we worship in just a moment, I want to encourage you to come and let someone pray with you, to actually make a point of decision this morning. Because it's very easy to stay in that pig pen of rebellion. And it's another thing to say, I'm coming back to my father's arms. But there's a third small place. It's not to a prodigal, but it's to a believer where you haven't walked away from the Lord, but you find yourself in despair for one reason or another, and it's become a very small place. Maybe it's been a diagnosis of cancer or a chronic disease Maybe it's been a loss of a job or a broken relationship and your heart is broken this morning and Jesus wants to come to that despair. He is the Prince of Peace. He wants to come to that broken relationship. He wants to come to that hopelessness and he wants to meet you in a special way. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, it brings us salvation, but it also brings us into such a personal relationship with our good shepherd. And he wants to be your shepherd this morning. If you'll allow him, if you'll allow him into that pain and you'll allow him into that despair. And I would invite you to come and receive prayer. Just, just open up, open up to somebody on the ministry team and one of the pastors and say, you know what? I really am in despair. I'm the child of God, but I'm in a difficult place. And I would invite Christ to meet me in that place. So as we sing, it's really an opportunity to respond. It's a moment to respond we're really asking you to, to, to respond to Christ, to come receive Christ as your Savior. Let somebody know I'm ready to trust Christ for salvation or I need to come back. I'm coming back to Christ. All you gotta say is I'm the prodigal and that's enough. We'd love to pray with you. Or I'm in despair, I'm in discouragement. I need prayer this morning. So church, let's stand together and let's pray and allow the Lord to minister to our hearts. Father, as we take a moment to worship you and to wait upon you, we ask that you would move hearts, that you would move lives. For those that have not trusted you for salvation, Lord, may they see your gentleness, may they see your kindness, your unconditional love, the gift of your son, and may this be the morning, may today be the day where they trust you for salvation. God, for those that have walked away from you, maybe they've grown up in a Christian family or had years of faithfulness of walking with you, but for whatever reason have gotten off track and find themselves 
in that pig pen, Lord, would you move their hearts to come back to you, to surrender to you. We thank you for your grace that you're always ready to welcome us home. And God, I pray for those that are in that place of despair, that place of discouragement. They're they're facing real difficult times and they're beat down, they're overwhelmed. And we think of your words, Jesus, where you say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. We pray this morning that they could experience rest. In Jesus' name, amen.